next week to see uh, what it looks like when, uh, when people graduate from certain programs put together and that type of thing. So it is a, a rare opportunity for us to do that. So I do, again, highly encourage you to participate next week in that. And uh, we'll uh, also have the address available for you and, and all that stuff. Uh, but we can also meet here in Carpool if you'd like. So uh, let's turn our attention to what we're talking about today. Uh, last week, of course, we looked at 2 Timothy chapter 2, and we discussed some of the examples that Paul gave to Timothy. Uh, we got the example of the soldier, uh, the athlete, and then the farmer. And we looked at different attributes that uh, Paul pointed out specifically uh, that Timothy was to emulate uh, in, in regards to, to those professions, as it were. Um, we talked about the fact that uh, every single one of us here in this room, whether we recognize it or not, uh, we are all leaders. We are called as leaders to the world because, first and foremost, we are set apart from the world. Uh, as uh, being set apart from the world, we ourselves have a different standard than the world has. We have a foundation that is built on the truth that we find in God's Word. The world does not operate with that same truth, that same understanding. In fact, the world, uh, you know, doesn't really have one. It just depends on uh, the flavor of the week, uh, as it were. Uh, and things are changing all the time. So we uh, first, uh, when applying that standard, then use godly wisdom as opposed to earthly wisdom. Uh, the Bible says specifically that God uses uh, those things that men call foolish to show his wisdom in those things. So uh, we do not uh, operate the same as the world does. We have a different example that is set for us, a different standard that we hold, a different foundation that, uh, that we hold true to. And I mean, I just I can't think of anything more different than uh, even how I was brought up. Uh, there are certain things that you're told, you know, every family is always supposed to have. Uh, for example, uh, when I was growing up, it was still very, very uh, important uh, that uh, you have both parents uh, present uh, in the household. Uh, this day and age, you know, it doesn't matter, right? You don't need a mother and father or, uh, you know, let's have a father and father or a mother and a mother. It's fine. It doesn't matter who's there for you. Uh, I was, of course, a child of divorce. My mother and father divorced when I was an infant. I never knew my family living together as a nuclear family. Uh, I was in that generation of latchkey kids, right? I wore, it's, it's, uh, it's used sometimes as a trope. I literally wore a key around my neck on one of those little beaded chain things. If I needed assistance after school, I went across, uh, across the, the little step plateau to the neighbor's house, who also happened to be the managers of the, the apartments. So I didn't have, for the first part of my life, that traditional kind of upbringing that you're told that you're supposed to have. That was the anchor the world told me that you were supposed to have. I didn't have that. Then, at the age of 10, suddenly, instant family. I go from being an only child to now I am the younger of two children. He was nine days older than me. Come on, what's that? Suddenly I'm the youngest 
That's weird. And then down in California, my dad remarried as well, and I had uh, an older sister and two younger brothers. So now I'm really living the American dream, right? But that became the new standard. The generation that I grew up in, you know, kind of paved the way for that to be normal now. So now the foundation is no longer a nuclear family unit involving one father, one mother, and the, the children in between that, but now it's all over the place. It's wherever you can find it. You have blended families all over the place, and that is normal. Uh, multiculturalism within the very household that you grow up in is normal. Uh, these are things that have changed throughout the year. These are the new standards. And now our standard is it doesn't matter who, uh, you know, what the, the biological parents are. It only matters that there are two people. Um, they don't even have to be uh, male and female. They can be male and male, female and female. It doesn't matter. There should be at least two people. But we can make that variable as well. So the, the standard, the foundation that we're supposed to have even from a you know, early childhood stage is all over the place. However, the word of God is a foundation, the truth that's found here, that stays the same. It's unfailing and unchanging. So we as Christians, when I say before you here that we're all leaders because we're set apart and we have these things, we have this foundation, we, have, we are different than, than the world that has no set firm foundation. We uh, exhibit characteristics that some people just can't understand. Now, mind you, we're not necessarily the ones that are shown in the positive light, right? Because what people don't understand, they tend to make fun of. And, you know, I'm not going to sit here and, and cry persecution, but uh, it seems to me the only religion at work that I can make fun of is Christianity. And that's the truth. Because even on my own team, now that I'm a manager, I have... Uh, I have uh, people who uh, are, uh, you know, Buddhists. I have people who are um, study, you know, Hinduism. I have people that are Roman Catholic. I have people that, um, oh, uh, there are a couple of people at the call site that um, are, uh, what's the, they follow Islam. Muslim, there we go. <laughs> IR speak well today. Um, and special accommodation is made for those religions at work. Like, literally, we have a special room that is set aside that can be locked, so one of the, the young ladies uh, with the new recruits can uh, go up and, and do her prayers on a, on a regular basis. There's nothing like that set up for me. So we make special accommodation for religions, but if we do anything for someone like myself, a white Anglo-Saxon Protestant, not only am I guilty of, uh, well, of being, you know, intolerant, but I'm also a racist. That's the kind of weird mixed-up society that we live in. 
And the examples of Christianity that we are given, like in the media, are laughable. We have people that profess on a regular basis that they're Christians, and thus seeing them as Christians and understanding that they should be held to a different standard, they do not act like Christians. So we have people who literally are in leadership. In fact, uh, the majority of the presidents in my lifetime have professed to be Christians. And yet their very actions do not show that to be true. Their interpretations of the Bible change as the times change. Their truth becomes a watered-down foundation that's no longer stable. So how do we make sure that in this world that has that changing foundation, that has even a foundation of uh, what we're shown as Christianity that is uh, you know, watered down or in quicksand or what have you, how do we maintain that firm foundation of God's truth? How do we make sure that we're always on solid footing? How do we withstand the criticism? How do we withstand whatever it is that we face outside of these walls? Well, the Bible gives us some clear picture, number one, that we are going to face these things, but it also tells us what we can do to bolster ourselves and to be ready for that. So part of the qualifications for leadership that we're going to talk today about, we're going to find here again in 2 Timothy, uh, we're going to move down in chapter 2 to verses 13 through 21. Uh, today, basically, we're going to sum up leadership by looking into these verses to look at this standard. It's not really a list uh, other than, well, not even really last week. I haven't really come at you at a list because, remember, it is not by lists. It is not by our qualifications, by us checking off a box that we are called or qualified. It is only by God who qualifies the call. So, let's go ahead and read what it is uh, that we're looking at today. 2 Timothy chapter 2, starting in verse 13. Or 14, I apologize. 14. Uh, remind everyone of these things and command them in God's name to stop fighting over words. Such arguments are useless, and they can ruin those who hear them. Work hard so God can approve you. Be a good worker, one who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly explains the word of truth. Avoid godless, foolish discussions that lead to more talk and more ungodliness. This kind of talk spreads like a cancer. Hymenaeus and Philetus are examples of this. They have left the path of truth, preaching the lie that the resurrection of the dead has already occurred, and they have undermined the faith of some. But God's truth stands firm like a foundation of stone with this inscription, The Lord knows those who are His. And those who claim they belong to the Lord must turn away from all wickedness. It's pretty clear. Pretty much just what I just said. So I could have just read this instead of giving you that long run-up and introduction. I apologize. But let us continue on. The first thing that it says is we are to remind. Then it says we are to work hard. It says we are to correctly explain the word. And it says that we are to be approved. So we have four things that we're striving for. 
So the first thing is, what is it that we are to remind? Uh, Paul says in uh, 1 Corinthians 4.17 that he sent Timothy to remind the Corinthians of how he followed Christ. And Peter also says in 1 Peter 1, verses 12 through 15, that he is to remind of what Christ has shown him. So the examples that were given is the example of Paul, but not Paul in of himself, but the fact that Paul followed Christ. And the example that we're given is Peter, not Peter in and of himself, but the fact that Jesus showed and told Peter specific things. So what are we to remind people of? We are to remind people of the gospel. We are to remind people of the good news. So this means, first and foremost, obviously we have to share it with them to begin with, But just because someone's heard it, just because they have an understanding of it, doesn't mean that we should ever stop reminding. Almost like that broken record, that song that you cannot get out of your head, the thing that permeates every thought. You should be sitting down at work or on your couch and suddenly just be thinking, hallelujah! God sent his son for me who died, was resurrected, and spilled his blood that I may be saved. And every single time, it should give you chills. And every single time, I want you to pray like Pastor James and cry like Pastor James. It's that important. It should bring that much passion every single time. I don't care how much time you hear it, how many times you hear it i don't care what it is powerful each and every time it is not flippant it is a truth that cannot be changed or shaken and we are to be reminded of it on a regular basis it's not a difficult thing it's not like some super secret complicated deal it's not a once-in-a-lifetime thing, it's a repeated thing. It's easy to know, but it still bears repeating. So we should remind each other every opportunity we have of the gospel. Repetition is necessary. Don't fall into the trap of, oh, I've heard this before. Don't believe that you can simply tune it out because, oh, you know, uh, I've heard... I've heard these verses before. I'm good. I understand them. There's nothing new for me here. Don't believe it is worthless. Paul, in this very chapter, chapter 2 of 2 Timothy, says in the verses above, 11 through 13, this is a true saying. If we die with him, we will also live with him. If we endure hardship, we will reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. If we are unfaithful, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. 
simple, easy truths that must be repeated, that must be remembered. That means we must remind people of these simple truths. We have a history given to us in God's word. In the Old Testament, many, many things were done in God's name, and many, many times there were things set up in remembrance of what had taken place. Why is that? It's not simply for a remembrance of, oh, hey, you remember that one time that these guys did this one thing? It is because God entered into their everyday lives and did something miraculous. We don't have a habit of setting up altars to God. There's not a pile of stones where one of us laid our heads having a godly vision leading to heaven. Jacob's ladder, right? There's not... um, Well, there's not a great pile of stones in the river that God parted so that we could escape from slavery in Egypt. There's not uh, an Ark of the Covenant that we carry around on a regular basis with the broken tablets and and various other things uh, to remind us of how God uh, gave us the law and led us through the desert. We don't have those physical types of representation in this time, this day and age. What we do have is God's word that through the different translations, uh, through uh, our ability to look at history and context, we can come to an understanding of who God is through his prophets, through the people that have penned this, these works. So instead of setting up those altars, we have to remind each other on a regular basis. This is helpful not only for ourselves, but for others. As we are called to remember, thus we must also remind. The next thing, uh, what is it that we are working hard for? Let's look uh, at uh, 1 Peter chapter 1. And I'm just going to read verse 15 for you. It says, uh, But now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God, who chose you to be his children, is holy. We must work hard to be holy. What does holy mean? We must work hard to be set apart. I want you to think about this. You, whether you like it or not, are a creature of habit. Generally, I'm guessing you usually get up about the same time. Uh, For those of you that are on an alarm clock, eventually you get up and turn the alarm clock off before it even goes off, even if you hit snooze a couple of times normally. You still get up about the same time. You know what happens on Monday, you know what happens on Tuesday, you know what happens on Wednesday. You know, sometimes there's things outside the normal routine, so you have to kind of remind yourself, and that's why we have calendars and planners and that type of thing. Um, 
But when it comes down to it, there's certain things that we do on a regular basis that we don't even have to think about anymore because we have developed that habit, that skill. Well, how do you think that comes about? It doesn't just come about because we did things once and we said, oh, we're good, we'll always know how to do that. It comes about because we continuously worked hard at a particular task or we created an environment where we were consistently reminded to do something. Is a task or a characteristic that has been built up after time and time and time of repetition over and over and over again. It's also a product of where we spend our time, the people we spend it with. It is incredibly hard to maintain yourself as a morning person if, say, you marry a night owl. And eventually it's harder for you to get up in the morning because, well, your partner doesn't want to get up in the morning. And eventually, after, what, about 15, 20 years of marriage, you become a night owl yourself, right, Julia? I win. Well, and then I started working and having to get up at 5.30 a.m. Oh, I see. It's the double switch. Oh. You become more and more like people that you hang around. They rub off on you. You rub off on them. It takes hard work to maintain that foundation because you're not all here Monday through Friday studying God's Word. I say that full well knowing that Haven is a mystery that lives in a portion of the church and is here Monday through Friday. But uh, you are not in and amongst just this company on a regular basis. You go out into the world. You're not separated from the world physically. We're not called to be separated from the world physically. You go out into the world physically. You spend time with other people. You go to school. You go to work. You go to different venues for entertainment. You go out to eat. All of these things put you in contact with other people that have different habits than you, that have different mindsets than you, that have different thought processes than you. And if you continuously are around these people, soon you start to adopt some of their habits because we are creatures of habits. So when I go to work, I am in constant danger of having those habits become my habits. We don't have a water cooler, but we have a copy machine. And it is often the habit of people to gather together at this copy machine as they're waiting for their prints to come out and discuss things. And they're not discussing high philosophy or, you know, anything more important than, oh, it's Monday. Living for the weekend. It would be so easy for me because my personal printer in my office is broken. Tragedy. I'm not allowed to fix it myself. Double tragedy. So I have to go out to this copy machine, and it would be so easy for me to join in their mentality and their talk. It would be so easy for me to succumb to the pressure of 300 people in a confined space that do not share my value, that do not share my truth, and allow them to overwhelm me with their value and their truth. 
So how do I keep myself strong? How do I become the one who influences them? How do I become the leader? I must work hard. I must keep my nose to the grindstone. I must keep myself on the straight and narrow. I work hard to always remember that these truths not only exist, but do not change. I work hard to make sure that I preach the word of God, that I am prepared, whether or not it's convenient for me, that I can be ready to patiently correct, rebuke, encourage, and to do all this with good teaching. This is a great opportunity for me to do a shameless plug for the danger room. Shameless plug. You need to be prepared, and there's only one way to be prepared. There is only one Word of God, and you must be in the Word of God. You must be in the Word of God and around people who are in the Word of God. You must discuss the Word of God and keep strong to the Word of God. In uh, 2 Timothy 4, 2, this is where I pretty much just paraphrased. It says, preach the Word of God, be persistent, whether the time is favorable or not. Patiently correct, rebuke, and encourage your people with good teacher for Good teaching, pardon me. For a time is coming when people will no longer listen to right teaching. They will follow their own desires. They will look for teachers who will tell them whatever they want to hear. They will reject the truth and follow strange myths. But you should keep a clear mind in every situation. Don't be afraid of suffering for the Lord. Work at bringing others to Christ. Complete the ministry that God has given you. It will be hard work because you will be bombarded on a regular basis by those telling you myths as if they were truths. It's not an easy task. We're not called to sit idly by and let things happen. So we are to work hard. How is it that we can correctly explain the word? Paul says in uh, 2 Timothy that, uh, let's see, work hard so God can approve you, be a good worker, one who does not need to be ashamed, and who correctly explains the word of truth. Now, the word here in the Greek is orthotomeo. Orthotomeo, it is found nowhere else in the New Testament. You guys have down the spelling, right? Orthodomeo? Right? Okay. So, right. It's, uh, it literally means to cut straight. To cut straight, to proceed on straight paths, to hold a straight course, to make straight and smooth, to handle all right, to teach the truth directly. 
So I want you to think about this. Paul, of course, was uh, commonly called a tent maker. Would like you to think about what it looks like to join pieces of fabric together so that they fit properly. You guys ever watch uh, How It's Made? I love How It's Made. How It's Made is basically the little part of uh, Mr. Rogers' neighborhood that I really loved when he showed like crayons being made and that type of stuff. So imagine a whole show just put together of those segments. It is great. And each and every time I watch that, they invariably have some type of fabric thing that they're putting together, like boots or shoes or baseballs or something like that. And to watch as they have these machines with direct precision cut these preset patterns into it, especially the boot one. Because, you know, it's a shoe, right? But it comes out as this little winged looking thing almost like a, a weird deformed bat or something like that. But then, because those lines are cut straight and precisely, it's joined together to become a boot that you would put on your feet, like what, you know, kind of what Adam's wearing. They may have even been the one from the episode, I don't know. But it's just amazing to see that progression take place. And that doesn't take place because they don't show you this often, but sometimes those machines make mistakes. <gasps> those are called cast-offs. Those are things that they throw away. Now, when I think cast-offs, of course, I think of beef jerky because it's the stuff that just doesn't meet the right shape, and they throw it into a bag, and it's cheaper, and it's still really good. But cast-offs are the things that they won't sell to you because they are not a good product. They are defective. Sure, you could wear them, but half of your foot's going to be exposed. You could wear them, but the metal didn't get placed in right, so it'll probably cut your toes. Cast-offs are things that are not cut straight. Another example of straight, and I didn't know this. I didn't even think about it. Uh, who built the straightest roads in the ancient world? The Romans. The Romans literally would bridge over swamps and streams. They would cut through small hills. They would move any obstacle that they could in their path for one purpose and one purpose only getting from point A to point B as quick as possible. With the straightest roads, they were able to move their armies more efficiently than anyone else. Their empire extended from the south all the way up through Great Britain. In fact, the straightest roads, Great Britain today, are the ones that were paved over that were originally Roman roads. If you look at a map of the roads today, they're squiggly and all over the place. We build roads crazy. But the straightest thoroughfares were originally built by the Romans, and they had literally just been paved over. So, other versions of this verse. In uh, the American Standard Version, it says, handling aright the word of truth. In the, well, I'm not going to, I'll just say in the, the uh, expanded uh, Standard Version, it says, 
rightly handling the word of truth. In uh, the Good News Bible, it says, one who correctly teaches the message of God's truth. In, uh, I don't even recognize that version. It says, handling the word of truth with, uh, with precision. Uh, in the New American Standard, it says, accurately handling the word of truth. In the NIV, it says, correctly handling the word of truth. And uh, in the King James Version, it says, rightly dividing the word of God's truth. All of these things, all of them, have this vision of this straight truth, this straight path. Even when you talk about the King James Version and dividing, how do you know where to divide something? You cut it straight. Even a pie, we cut straight. So, how do we correctly explain the word? How do we correctly divide the word of God? How do we correctly keep straight the word of God? Well, this is where we get back to that hard work again, right? We work hard and we're in the Bible. See, when I was growing up in the church, because yes, I talked a little bit about my youth, but part of my youth was spent uh, participating in church and church events to a certain degree, and I was part of the Awanas program. Approved workmen are not ashamed. It gets its name from uh, chapter, uh, verse 15 here. Approved workmen who are not ashamed. Josh is a proud uh, alumni as well. Represent. And this, think Boy Scouts, but with uh, an emphasis on memory or, or Bible memorization. We had our booklets, and each uh, Wednesday when we'd come together, uh, we would stand before our troop leader, and we would share the verses that we were supposed to memorize. And then once we shared the verses that we were supposed to memorize, we'd also show them the skills that were paired with the verses. So yes, I did learn how to tie knots. I just tied knots tied to memory verses. But it got us in the habit of reading God's word and memorizing it. Awanas is still around today. We do not have that program here. But it is a good program for focusing on memorization and learning to correctly explain the word. We do have programs here that help us with this same process. Last night in the Archeo video, you saw footage showing Heartscribe Friday. You heard a little bit about the fact of the, they've changed the format a little bit, so instead of just going through uh, the Book of Romans, uh, as they continue to do right now, they've changed it a little bit so that they pair off. And they pair off to go through the Book of Romans and to discuss things. You have one person who is a little bit better versed in the Bible paired with someone who is not as well versed in the Bible. And that process is geared towards both of them working together to study the word and come to an understanding. And then everyone comes together and they present those things and they defend those things and they just, they just have a good discussion. And this helps to solidify everybody's understanding of the word. 
So if you have opportunity, I would highly advise that you attend HeartScribe Friday. This happens generally every week. Now, believe it or not, though it wasn't discussed in the video, we also have HeartScribe Tuesday. I don't film much. Next year, whatever. But we do have HeartScribe Tuesday, which meets every other week. These are both opportunities for you to study, to discuss, to bounce ideas off one another, to work towards a better understanding of God's Word. But I give you this caveat. Even if you participate in those things on a regular basis, if that is the only time that you crack your Bible, is the only time that you dust off the pages and you read the Bible, it's not doing you any favors. Think about it. We talked about the fact that those people that you hang around are those that you start to adopt. You are inundated on a regular basis with the input from the world. You have to work hard to input from God's word. Unless you happen to work in an environment where everyone is spouting God's word on a regular basis, you're not in the word enough. They don't really, I mean, they talk about a few biblical principles at the IRS, but it's with God taken completely out of them. You must work hard, study, be in the word, be ready then to properly explain, to divide, to handle it, to teach it. You must be precise. And the only way you get precise is by continuously sharpening your tool, sharpening your weapon, being in the Word, and discussing it with others. You can't just rely on Pastor James, or Pastor Josh, or Pastor Adam, or Pastor Colin. You must be in the Word yourself. Now, if you work hard, if you sharpen your tool, if you're in God's Word, then the question is, what does it look like to be an approved workman who is not ashamed? The word here is dokemos. In the ancient world, there was not really a formalized banking system, right? Each, uh, each community, um, city, kingdom had their own money. Most of the money were based on coins. Metal was melted down, poured into molds, and then there was a process of shaving off the excess from the molds. Because when you pour things into a mold, it doesn't come out nice, bright, clean, and shiny, right? So it has to be trimmed a little bit. Now, there are those money makers who trimmed it a little close, because it's not just based on like the nice little picture and the value on it, it's based on weight. So some Money makers would shave that down real nice and close. Shave off a little bit of the extra weight. But there are those that would remain faithful to their craft, that would shave down just the right amount, and whose coins would weigh precisely what they were supposed to weigh. And those are the ones that were approved. That's the type of thing we're talking about. Not shaving anything off, not cutting too much down, not watering down the product, changing its very nature, but delivering that product 
final so that it may be approved. An approved workman is to cut a straight path through the truth, with the truth, pardon me. And second, he's not to deviate from that path. So an approved workman not only puts in good information, but gives out good information. It's not just, uh, oh, look at what I'm doing all the time, but here I am doing this all the time. And it doesn't point to self, it only points to God. You cut a straight path with the Word of God. You did not deviate from that path. You avoid worthless talk. You avoid foolish talk. And it helps to avoid godless behavior. Right beliefs and right behavior go hand in hand. It is what you put in front of your face. So I want you to think about this. Why do we have people in history such as Hitler? Hitler had beliefs. Hitler had beliefs and his action went hand in hand because he believed primarily in Charles Darwin's work from The Origin of Species, a book that was originally titled, I know that's not the full title now, but it was originally subtitled before its modern understanding, The Preservation of Favored Races in the Struggle for Life. As far as I know, Darwin himself was not into eugenics, but he did believe that we're, there were more advanced races, and he also believed that the, uh, of the human race that uh, white was the supreme race. And Hitler bought this hook, line, and sinker. That is very prevalent even in our world today, but they skip over the, the understanding of Darwin with white supremacy and only teach about his theories in regards to evolution. They don't do that for anyone else. If you have anything, even remotely, in your history that is out of character with what we believe to be politically correct today, they, you are cast out. You're done. Right? We're tearing down statues here, but we're still teaching evolution. We have things that become the new standard on a regular basis. I want you to think about this here. I'm about to say something that you'll probably find a little bit shocking. Did you know that there is a plague in America today? It's called Minecraft. I want you to think about this. Minecraft is everywhere. Schools use it to teach the young. Churches use it as a tool for scriptures. I know at least two generations that have been affected by this plague. Now, you're saying, James, it's a video game. You like video games. Why are you talking about Minecraft as a plague? Here's why. Minecraft teaches children it's good to cast spells. It's good to concoct potions. It's good to enchant your tools. And it is good to create a golem to protect the villagers. But it doesn't explain what any of those things mean. So you have enchantments, you have potions, you have golems entering the vernacular of the young people without a clear understanding of what any of these things mean. Do you guys know what a golem is? 
No? You don't? Oh, yes. So, see, uh, a golem from, uh, from the, the Jewish uh, understanding is a legend. And the legend is that if you create this clay figure and it's enchanted, and it's enchanted by writing words on a scroll and putting in through the opening, which is usually in the mouth of this clay figure that looks humanoid, then that golem, thus enchanted, will follow whatever directions were on the scroll. So if you, say, directed the golem to go kill your neighbor, put it on a scroll, put it in the golem's mouth overnight, the golem would go and kill your neighbor. If you commanded your golem to do a menial task, such as work your fields for you, the golem would do whatever it is that you wanted it to do. Made out of clay and enchanted. But in Minecraft, a golem protects the villagers. There's no explanation of what that is. Now, Minecraft itself was created by people that have a universal or humanistic approach to life. In fact, did you know there's actually an end to Minecraft? If you slay the Ender Dragon, then you will get a nice poem. That is the end poem. And the poem contains things like, this is a story that contains the truth safely in caged words, not the naked truth that can burn over any distance. And then it goes on to explain, take a breath now, now take another. Feel the air in your lungs. Let your limbs return. Yes, move your fingers. You have a body again. Under gravity, in air, respawn in the long dream. There you are, your body touching the universe again at every point, as though you were a separate thing, as though we were separate things. Who are we? We were once called the spirit of the mountain, the father of the sun, the mother of the moon, ancestral spirits, animal spirits, jinn, ghost, the green man, then gods, demons, angels, poltergeists, aliens, extraterrestrials, leptons, quarks. The words change, but we do not, for we are the universe. We are everything you think isn't you. You are looking at us now through your skin and your eyes, and why does the universe touch your skin and throw light on you? To see you, player, to know you, and to be known. I shall tell you a story. Once upon a time, there was a player. That's only an excerpt. This is why I tell you we must work hard. We must work hard because even the simplest of things are not geared towards bringing forth godly wisdom, but worldly wisdom. It can be as innocuous as a video game. A video game, by the way, many kids here play. And I don't have a problem with kids playing that because... Unlike the rest of the world, I work hard and I'm diligent. And Jeremiah knows what a golem is. Jeremiah understands what enchantments are and what potions are and where those come from. 
because I've taken the time to explain what those things are, they don't enter into his brain without thought and become part of his norm. Everything that we intake must go through a filter. If it doesn't, we will no longer be on that firm foundation. Acceptance of things like accept of enchantments, uh, the ability to create your own reality, acceptance of golems. Be diligent. Only by working hard, only by studying God's word, only by staying on the straight path, properly discerning based on God's word, reminding people of the gospel, showing ourselves approved, showing ourselves to be unashamed of that truth. Only through diligence, only through these things, only through the example. God has chosen you. Each and every one of you has been chosen, and I know this, because it says in God's word, in John chapter 17, this is Jesus praying to his Father in presence of the disciples. He says, starting in verse 6, I have revealed to you, I have revealed you to the ones you gave me from this world. They were always yours. You gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know everything I have is a gift from you, for I have passed on to them the message that you gave me. They accepted it and know that I came from you, and they believe you sent me. My prayer is not for the world, but for those you had given me because they belong to you. All who are mine belong to you, and you have given them to me. So they bring me glory. We've always been God's. We've always belonged to him. He gave us to his son, so that we may glorify his Son, so that the Son may glorify the Father. So as leaders, as those that are set apart, we must stand firm in the truth. And that means we must know the truth. We are called, and God has qualified us. So we need to be patient and devoted and focused as a soldier. Obedient and self-controlled like an athlete, hardworking and motivated like a farmer. We must remind, work hard, study through, keep straight, so that we may be approved, so that we may be unashamed. So I leave you with three questions today. How much time do you spend saturated in God's word? And is it enough? So how much time do you spend saturated in God's word? Is it enough? How do you spend your time? Do your actions match God's word? Do you walk the talk? And lastly, are you an approved workman who are not ashamed? And when have you seen yourself 
to be ashamed. Honest questions with honest answers. Let's uh, talk for about 20 minutes on that, shall we?